Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is coming from the gospel lesson the gospel according to St. Luke, I would ask that you please remain standing as we give our honor and respect to the words and work of Jesus. This is Luke chapter 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fade, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. A friend of mine lives just outside Columbia, South Carolina, and he recently told me uh, about a local attraction, really an international phenomenon that he took part in in his local community. Just outside of Columbia is a lake called Lake Murray, and in the middle of Lake Murray is an island called Bomb Island. And during July and August, Boaters, by the hundreds, go out in the evening as the sun is setting, and they circle around Bomb Island. That's not the attraction. It's because right as the sun starts to set, you start to see a bird called the Purple Martin fly in to Bomb Island. First a couple, then a dozen, then hundreds, 
then thousands, then hundreds of thousands, and then it is estimated at the peak of this July-August season, over a million purple martins make their way to this small island, all within the last hour of the night. And it's really a spectacle to behold. My friend was watching this take place for the very first time. And maybe this is a little cheesy, so I have to tell you, my friend is also a pastor. But he told me that as he watched this take place, he was reminded of the scripture lesson that we just read. Watching nearly a million birds fly in to one small island and then all take off again the next morning, well, just impressed on him that each and every one of these birds is cared for. God cares for all of these birds, and he does it. And if he does that, how much more is he going to care about what you and I need for our life? That's our scripture lesson for today. It is as common sense, down-to-earth promises as Jesus gives in almost all the Gospels. He says, I am going to care for you. I'm going to care for you. Look, as much as I care for birds, as much as I care for grass and flowers, how much more am I not going to care for you? So trust that. And yet the problem is that we do worry. We worry about all of the necessities that we need for life. Food and clothes and money and where we get those things from our jobs. And so what our God does is, is come at us with some very straightforward encouragement and comfort and conviction about our worry about money, about our worry about things, necessities for life. And you got to back it up because two weeks ago, we looked at a worry for an abundance of possessions. Today, we're looking at the opposite, a worry about having enough things for life. Two weeks ago, God's word in this very same chapter talked about being greedy for more things. Today, we're looking at the other side of the exact same coin, having anxious feelings and worries about not having enough things. What we're going to do as we walk through this is walk through the section of scripture that we just read from Luke's gospel, chapter 12. We're going to look at the problem with worrying about having food and clothes and money. We're going to look at the reason behind this problem. We're also going to look at the solution and also what happens when God's people live with the solution to this problem, when they live with the solution of knowing how God takes care of this problem, what the result is of that in our lives. So we'll start with the problem as we read verses 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. As I said in the introduction, it is not a terribly complex piece of scripture that God gives us. Straightforward. I love birds, but I care for you way more than I care for the ravens. It's a straightforward point, but you have to understand 
there is a problem, and that's why God had to say this. It's a problem that he actually draws out throughout all of chapter 12 of Luke. We read it two weeks ago, a parallel that he's drawing here. In verse 15 of this, of this chapter, he says, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Here, he says, life is more than food. Life is more than clothes. These are two very different sides of the spectrum. The bigger point, the parallel that God wants to draw out by talking about these same things is this, is that yes, you can go spiritually sideways by being obsessed with possessions, but just as easily, it's a spiritually significant issue when you worry about little things, little everyday things, food and clothes and the money that we need for these things. I wish I could read this whole chapter and we could preach on all of it on once. It's because he draws this section, this comparison out even further. It's not every chapter where Jesus talks about birds multiple times, but he does so here, and it's to draw the same parallel. Earlier in this lesson, or in this chapter, excuse me, he's talking about how we don't have to be worried as Christians for suffering persecution, and he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of those who have the authority to send you to hell. Then he says this, I tell you, fear that. Then he adds his comfort. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That's earlier in verses 14, 4, 5, and 6 of this chapter. And here he's talking about birds again. Why? It's to draw this parallel. Spiritually, we might worry about suffering persecution from outside of the Christian church. And that, that fear is real, and it can send people away from their God and incur spiritual problems because of that. And yet here, too, I'm going to use birds one more time, Jesus says, to draw this parallel that just as dangerous is worrying about everyday things. Persecution can make you forget about your God, and so can food and clothes. So here's the problem that we look at first. If you're taking notes, the problem is little everyday worry is actually a huge eternal issue. It's a huge eternal problem. And the reason for it is because of what our Savior is going to draw us to next. It's the reason why. It's because when we look at where our food, where our clothes, where our money, where our jobs are going to take us and where, where we're going to get these things from, we are an attempt, in, in essence, attempting to be God to solve whatever it is, whatever problem it is we're facing. Jesus closes out this section by saying this. You can picture it, right? He used to be talking to a large crowd at the beginning of this chapter. Now he's just talking to his disciples. And he says, let me ask you this. Put your hand up. Which one of you can add a single hour to your life? Just one. Just one hour. Which of you can do that? And the disciples look at each other and they say, no, I can't do that. 
He says, good, right, right, that's the point. And since you can't do that, why are you worrying about this as well? Why? Why are you worrying about food and clothes and money as well? And that's the next question that we're going to consider is the reason why, the reason why we worry about this. Give you the reason right away. We worry about it in an attempt to avoid uncertainty and also avoid inevitability. This is what Jesus is getting at with this next illustration, this time not with birds, but with the flowers of the field. Jesus said, consider the wildflowers. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? We're asking the question, why? Why do we worry about this? What's the reason behind this? Commenting on the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Wells pastor, now Professor Luke Thompson, he wrote a book called Your Life Has Meaning. And he's picking up on the theme that Jesus is on here talking about Solomon. And he says this, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes about to our lives of accumulating things, whether that's food or clothes, whether it's money or a name or reputation, he says there's really two issues with the future and our legacy. The first is uncertainty. You have no idea what everyone will do with your legacy. The second is inevitability. One thing you do know for certain is eventually everyone will forget about your legacy. Then one question remains. Was it worth it? Take that and not just thinking about legacy, but think about our pursuit of having the daily necessities of life. We concern ourselves so much with acquiring these things, food and clothes and money, but then ask the question, what will happen to it? Why do we do this? Well, that's what Jesus is getting at with this. The reason that we do this is to avoid uncertainty. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon commented in the book of Ecclesiastes, after a lifetime of being blessed with wisdom by God, wisdom he used to accumulate great honor, great wealth for himself, is that everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything this side of heaven is meaningless. And yet he gathered all these things together in an attempt that's not so different from why we look to gather things today. So life's uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what's going to happen in an hour from now or this afternoon. And so very often, people turn to things, the daily necessities, having enough food and clothes and money in order to find security, in order to find certainty. Again, it goes back to the same reason that Jesus was getting at with the question, who of you can add an hour to your life? You're not God. Only God can do that. And yet, we try. And we try also for the second reason, and that's to avoid what is inevitable. 
that we, and even those to whom we leave everything we acquire, will inevitably be forgotten. It will vanish. Jesus goes on talking about the, the grass and Solomon, and he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Oftentimes, why we gather things is, first of all, it is to just insulate ourselves against the uncertainty of tomorrow, but also it's to distract ourselves from the long-term inevitability of all of life, that nothing here lasts, nothing that we gather, food, clothes, or money, lasts beyond our lifetime, and it's all forgotten. Sociologist Ernest Becker, he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning sociologist. He wrote a book called The Denial of Death, and in it, he wrote this. He said, the number one reason people are stingy, the reason why people have trouble giving away our money, the reason we need money so much is we don't want to admit that we're going to be whisked away. Why is it that we worry about having money and things? Jesus puts his finger on it. It's because we know that there is an end to this life. There is an end to our time under the sun. And we want to try to guard ourselves against that in whatever way we can. So what's the solution? What's the solution to this? Well, look at the very, very next verse. What does Jesus says? He says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Now I have to step back. Is that really the solution that Jesus gives here? You're worried about these things? So don't, don't worry. Recently, I got to hang out with my cousin, and we watched our parents say things to each other, and we commented on how absolutely ridiculous the things that our parents said to each other were, and how we always thought, growing up as parents, that we would never say these things to our kids. But now that we each have kids, well, we pointed out how crazy it is that we say the exact same thing to our children. One of the things that my parents said to me, because their parents said to them, was whenever you stubbed your toe or just whined about little everyday things, was buck up and deal with it. Just buck up and deal with it. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he saying to you that, hey, I know you have worries about food and clothes and money and tomorrow, but don't. Just buck up and deal with it. Don't worry. No, the solution is much greater than that. Because Jesus says, do not worry about it. And then he tells you why. He says, don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Why are we really worried about money and food and clothes and tomorrow? It's because we forgot. We forgot that we have a father. We have a father who is your God. We have a father who knows exactly what you need for this life. 
Throughout this section, what Jesus has been doing is been making from less to greater arguments. Like, look, if I care about birds, if I care about lilies of the field, flowers, how much more do I care about you? He has one more for us, one more great less than to greater than comparison. He says, look, your heavenly father knows that you need the daily necessities of life. And I'm telling you something greater. He's given you his kingdom. And if he's given you his kingdom, how much more is he not also going to provide everything that you need for life? A friend recently said a Christian quotable to me that I haven't ever heard before. And so it stood out to me. They said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. What is Jesus' point in scripture here? Is he saying, don't plan out your budget, your meals, or what you're going to wear tomorrow? No, certainly not. What he is saying, however, is don't obsess about these things. Don't let these things consume you, because what I want you to do is look to me, pray to me, trust in me that I am going to provide everything that you need, everything that you need for life. And why can you trust me in that? God says, because I'm your father and I've given you the kingdom. I've given you the kingdom. Here's the solution. While our heart is set on little everyday worry, here's what you can know God's solution to this problem is. Your father's heart is set on eternity with you. And if your father has his heart set on eternity with you, on being with you forever, you think he's also going to take care of what you need to eat, what you need to wear? what you need for your life. Listen to this progression that follows. But seek his kingdom. Oftentimes people hear this, and we're going to unpack this, because people hear this and they go, okay, all right, so I got I to gotta go after it. I have to find his kingdom. Because with the scarcity mindset, people say, then, then he's going to give me everything he needs. Then he's going to help me win the lottery. Some great windfall is going to happen to me, and I'll have all these things in life. But is that what he's talking about here? Certainly not. He said to seek first his kingdom, and these things, your daily needs, are going to be given to you as well. And then he adds this. The reason why? Seek it because you already got it. Seek it because God's already given you his kingdom. He has been pleased to give you everything that is his now. We don't do this too often, but we're going to do this today. We're going to do a side lesson so we make sure we understand this great and glorious promise that God has given. Do you know what God's kingdom is? If someone asked you, what's the kingdom of God? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? Because it it is absolutely paramount to understanding the fact that you already have the kingdom. What does it mean that God has given you the kingdom? Let's take a little sidestep to look at just a few passages. Jesus was asked just five chapters later by Pharisees grilling him. He said, tell us, tell us when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something you can see. It's not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, oh, here it is. There it is. No, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus was talking about himself carry on to even further in Jesus' time on this earth. And Jesus is standing before trial, about ready to suffer for the sins of the world. This is on Good Friday. 
Jesus, being asked by Pilate if he's a king and who he is, said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Oh, so you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, for the very reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. All right. Last passage, John 3. This is now at the beginning or towards the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is this. It is Christ Jesus, his good news, the message of the gospel in you through the spirit. Through the water of baptism, Christ Jesus setting up his kingdom in your hearts. Through the word of God that you hear, Christ Jesus reigning in your hearts through his promises. That's where God's kingdom is. It is not establishing a more moralistic society. It is not bringing heaven to earth. No, Jesus' kingdom is expressly this. Him in you, ruling in the hearts of all his people and doing it through the spirit that he has poured out for you. Romans chapter five says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, is given, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God's kingdom comes. This is where it comes. It comes from Christ Jesus, coming to us while we were still powerless, while we were still in our sins, him sending our spirit, his spirit, and pouring it out into our hearts and setting up his rule and his reign there. So now you know what God's kingdom is? Back it up. Jesus said, seek my kingdom. Actually, I've already given it to you. So what's the solution to our problem to worrying about these everything, everyday things? It's knowing how much God cares about you. It's by looking at Christ and seeing that if Jesus took care of our biggest problem, our eternal problem, where we're going to live in eternity someday? Do you think he's also going to take care of our, our homes and our lives here? Do you think if Christ Jesus, who, though he was rich, gave it all up and became nothing so that we could have everything, do you think he's also going to provide for everything that you need to get by in this life so that you can be with him in eternity? That's the solution. That's the solution, the, the good news that we live list. So what's the result of us living with that good news? Well, I noticed I was getting a little long with my fill in the blanks for the first three. So I thought of just maybe a, a one word point for this one. The result is us taking action. And Jesus gives us reasons or actions how to live out. He said, sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, 
where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus comes and he says, okay, you know the solution to the problem. It's me giving the keys to the kingdom to you. So now you can just go and give away everything you have knowing that I'm gonna provide for you. Is Jesus talking about really giving away everything that we have, selling all our possessions? No, what he's talking about is how people who know, who know that they don't need to do good things or give to those in need so that they can be on Christ's team, but the fact that they already are on Christ's team can then go out and care for those who, who were spiritually once in a similar position. We had nothing. We were powerless, but God gave us all. And so we can go to those who have a need and be Christ to them, be God's hands to them and give to them, knowing that we have one who has given everything and promised everything to us. He says, provide purses for yourselves that will neither wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. The question is often asked, what's the one thing that you can take to heaven? It's not possessions. It's not really purses or a portfolio. What it is, is the kingdom. It's the kingdom investments that you and I make. Think back to what the kingdom is. It is Christ's rule in our hearts through the gospel. What then is a treasure in heaven that will never fail? What can never be snatched away and either have Satan take it away or that which is in this world destroy it? It's God's kingdom set up in the hearts of his people through the preaching and teaching of his word, through you going out and sharing that same good news, the message of the gospel through which the spirit works, through you whom the spirit works to build God's kingdom in the hearts of people. Because this takes action. You, you know it all. Here it is. Simple. I'm giving you it all. Go and, and give it to others. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You know, I said at the beginning that this isn't a complex section of scripture. It's as really straightforward and to the point and down to earth as Jesus gets on the teaching of possessions and money and, and how he cares for us. And yet he follows all that up with this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He, he follows it up by saying, look, I'm telling you where your heart already is. It's, it's with me, wrapped up in heaven. So go out and do it. Do this. Put your treasure where your heart also is. This last week, I heard a pastor who is an excellent communicator of God's word and, and really does a good job making God's word stick, encourage another group of pastors to make God's blessings real in their hearts in this way. Oftentimes, we read and we meditate on scripture, both in worship and in our personal lives, right? Then that message that we hear and meditate on, it, it comforts us and blesses us. And yet when we look at a section like this that offers up great and many promises, but also calls us to take action, do we always do that? 
Do we always make time for that part in our lives? What this pastor encourages is this. What if we scheduled an hour for obedience in our week? What if we took out all of our calendars right now and just one, just one hour of the 168 that we have coming up this week, we stopped and we thought, where am I going to do this? Where am I going to make a kingdom investment? How am I going to provide a purse, provide for eternity in my life or the life of someone else? How am I going to go about and give, going to go and give to someone who has nothing? That's what Jesus is challenging you and I with this very last verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Wherever you put your treasures, there your heart will follow. And I with it, with all the blessings. You work back from it. You know that we so often have this worry, and it's a very human worry. Jesus said pagans all over the world run after these things. But he said, I have a solution to it. I've given you the keys, the keys to my kingdom. Go, go and give that to others. In Jesus' name, amen.